but you mix all these balls up and then a ball comes out and it's natural that that ball is going to come there because it has a certain mind power value and so it will come up in the mind naturally it's just how the mind works and if you understand that you can be ready for these thoughts are going to arise in the mind and so when when they come up you understand they're coming up naturally you do not have to engage them you just simply allow them to be in the mind but your mind is like a mirror and you just let the, the thoughts um, appear on this mirror and you just let them be there but you don't look at them you don't have to look at them straight away you can sit there and it's as if you were sitting on a tall peak it it um, it in the nighttime on a clear night and you see all these stars that are arrayed in the sky and and you could be aware of all of the stars simultaneously you don't have to look at any one of them they're just there and you're sitting there with with all of these images that are arising in the mind and letting them go you all all you are is you are aware I'm aware sitting here and these thoughts are arising but you're not trying to suppress them you're just simply aware that they have arisen and that they will begin to lose their energy when they lose their energy and fall off you don't even have to notice that they went so it would be like you were sitting here in this room and, and friends and enemies and different things would come into the room and they would linger around the room some would come to you some want to talk to you some of them would try to make noise some of them would tantalize you but you're just sitting there and you're aware that they're there but they after a while they um, lose their intensity and begin to fade out and after a while you were just there in the room and other thoughts will arise and they go rise and fall and rise and fall till one day you're just sitting there in the room but and there's nothing there but just the awareness of mind and the method and you're just there and if you there and you stay there that's good if not you go wow everybody's left I'm doing really good then you mess it up because you let a thought in the, the thought is of self so you don't try to congratulate yourself or give yourself an award because when you do that you're messing up actually when the room becomes very quiet that's when you start to do your real work to ferret out the notions of the self that the idea that there is this person that is in this meditation rather than when we sit and we have a very good practice going the mind is reflecting it there's no one there to come to claim the prize of that accomplishment no one if somebody does show up then you have to simply illuminate that it's sometimes it's not easy because there's no longer an image associated with that there's just simply a a notion which is a false notion that it is you that is quiet you let go of that you don't think anymore that it is you that is quiet you just simply are practicing awareness and so you continue to practice awareness awareness then this works so when you sit this is this is how we practice I want to read a little bit of Master Boshan's um, 
um, exhortation of investigating Chan uh, to, to help you with this. And he says that the practice cannot be off and on. If your practice can be interrupted, it is not a genuine practice. So if you're sitting there and you're practicing and all of a sudden you see there is uh, something that's, that's, uh, that you want, something that you desire, and then all of a sudden you're, you're fixated on what you wanted. Last night it was somebody who wanted a hot dog. So, so they were very happy about the hot dog. And, and if the hot dog comes up, then you have to let go of it. Don't, don't think about it. Don't cling to it. Just let it go. And, and, and essentially just allow it to join all of the other images on the, on the mirror. But if you begin to fixate on that, then your practice is not very good. True practitioners investigate as if their eyebrows and their heads were on fire. Um, this is a very good way of looking at it because of the fact that we, we see the immediacy of the practice. We're mindful that some of us are young, some of us are older. But we're mindful of that and we're mindful of, of that we need to practice that we need to practice well, and that, that the time is very, very precious. We don't have a lot of it. Um, this, in the past year, I've lost uh, three students, and uh, one of them was young, and um, died of brain cancer, and the other two died of cancer that were older. And um, they all sought out my assistance at the end, and they were, practicing as if their heads were aflame. This is the way we should be aware of the practice that, that we don't have that much time. There's a finite amount of breaths that we have, that we take, that we don't know how many we have left. It's a funny thing though, because if we knew how many we have left, I only have five trillion more breaths left. Then you'd start looking at it and you'd start getting worried, you know, when you're down to, you know, maybe one million breaths or 500,000 breaths. And then you'd really be practicing hard, right? And so it's important that we, we understand that. There was a story of this one lady that she had terminal cancer and she was going from place to place looking for the person that could heal her. So she went to these different mystics and different people and finally she ended up with uh, this one master, a Tibetan master, and she said she had terminal cancer and she didn't have long to live. And he says, that's wonderful news. And she went, what? He says, that's wonderful news. That's very great news. You're so fortunate. And she said, what are you talking about? You didn't hear. I'm going to die. And he goes, of course, we all are going to die. We, we, he has already settled the matter of birth and death. He says, but, but some of us do not know when we're going to die. So we have no time to prepare. But you, on the other hand, know that you're going to die soon. So you have time to prepare for your death and, and time to do the things and get your affairs in order. And she thought that was such a, a, a puzzling type thing. But what it did was it enabled her to 
to see the things in the real way as it is. This is the thusness of life. Is this is what happens to us all? We just don't know how long it's going to take for us to get there. So the people that were my students, they call me in, but they were not like this lady. They weren't looking for salvation. More so, they were looking for um, verification that the practice was correct and an assurance that that their practice was there but they nevertheless had great faith in their practice they understood what mine was from from the lectures and they understood the immediacy of of their situation and so they practiced very very well one of my students was practicing and trying to figure out one thing and she she spent um, days and nights just contemplating that and, and I even forgot what it was but it was something that had to do with the mind and when she finally resolved it she went there it's done um, I this this is clear and then that's the day that she died so we want to be able to pass like that we want to be able to to look at it and say yeah we were i was a practitioner and that this is how it went about a week before she died she came to my class to talk to my students it was something very very amazing for her to come and to explain how what her condition was and and what her state of mind was and it was a very amazing thing to to see someone like that that wants to give at that moment, not wallowing in her own sorrow. So when we practice, we're aware of this and we, we become aware of, of this great matter of life and death. We understand that this is a way for us to understand life and death, to, to be at one with these, these points, to be at one with nature. The nature of that, as we're born, we we will take our last breath. We don't know when. But the more we practice, the more fear is removed from from us, and the more doubt is removed as to what we are are uh, doing. We're we're clear about a practice. So that's when we're sitting on the cushion. That's what we're doing. So this is not the time for you to engage. The, the things that are in your in your mind because when you do that then you will you're engaging in, in a losing battle and so you you're very very careful mindful to practice in the right way to, to get it right you all are capable of bringing forth a world-class practice a world-class practice is an impeccable practice. Impeccable means to be without any kind of fault. So when we practice and we sit on our cushion, we want to give rise to this great spirit of Chan. We want to give rise to the spirit that enables us to, to practice very, very hard and sustain that practice. So if you sit for half an hour and 25 minutes of that was thinking 
and the other five was sleeping, then your practice is not good. So the probability will be the next time is that you're going to sleep for five minutes and you're going to have scattered mind for 25 minutes. Why? Because that's what you practice. So if you practice this way, this is what you're practicing. You're practicing a poor practice. Causes and condition never fail. The next time you sit, you're going to have a poor practice. It is just the way it is. But if you give rise to a vow that you really want to practice well, you really want to put your effort into it, then each time when you sit, you have the spirit of Chan that you're going to practice very, very hard. And, and your practice will reflect that. So when we do that, it's better for us in the beginning just simply to practice for a few minutes of impeccable practice. And, and be honest with it, and when we're not on that impeccable practice, we try to bring ourselves back, but we, we cut it off because we cannot sustain it. And when we can't sustain it, we just, there's, there's no sense in you practicing a poor practice. Do you understand that? So what you want to do is get your practice locked in, zeroed in, and then start adding minutes to it. But if you start from the beginning with a poor practice, all you're practicing is, is that. Or if you practice and you, you just block out thoughts, and you practice blocking out thoughts, and you're just sitting there um, like uh, a, a, um, an old hen sitting on a cold egg, nothing's going to happen. Because you're, you're, your mind does not have the dynamics, it does not have um, the awareness that's there. You even shut off awareness, and that's not good. So what you do instead is you, you give rise to it. You get sleepy, then get some oxygen into you. Wake up, wake up, wake up, and you wake up. And so you, you're giving rise to attention, not sleepiness. Um, I used to have a student, now she's up in San Francisco, so she's here twice a, a year now, but every time she, she heard my voice, my voice was so soothing to her that she would want to sleep. And she tried so hard to stay awake and her eyes would go like that, you know, like rolling up. And I'm going, I felt so sorry for her, you know. And, and she really wanted to do it, but she felt comf comfort in me. But I, I said, you have to stay awake, you have to listen. You know, I'm not here just to sob you, you know, to let you go to sleep. And, and she was a good practitioner, but it was just hard because she got into that habit of doing that. So I had to watch her and put her in the front to, to make sure she didn't go to sleep on me. And, um, it, you know, it's like the chickens, when it gets dark, then they, they go to sleep right away. And so you, you don't do that. And if you, if you have a drowsy practice or a, a scattered mind practice, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. When your eyes are closed, and how many of you meditate with your eyes closed? Raise your hand. Okay. What do you see? Uh, I don't know if I see anything. You don't? What do you see? Um, sometimes darkness, sometimes um, image from the source. Images? Yeah. If you close your eyes, what do you see? Anybody know? It's very, very simple. It, it's so logical that when I tell you what you see, you guys are going to go, well, that was stupid. Why, why didn't I see that? 
you see the back of your eyelids. <laughs> Is that not true? That's the only thing you see. The only thing. When you're sitting there with your eyes open, you only see the floor and the wall. That's it. Anything that isn't the back of your eyelids or the wall in front of you is an illusion. It's an illusion. When your eyes are a little bit open, you have less likelihood that you're going to, to see anything. But if all of a sudden you start making patterns out of the, the wood or the wall, then you know it's an illusion. And you will, it's just that the mind is looking for something to think about, something to see. So yesterday, one lady was telling me that she saw colors and she saw all sorts of colors. And I said, your mind is very clever. She goes, but I see colors. And I said, yeah. And so the people, they take drugs. But it doesn't mean that they've gotten an epiphany. It's just that their minds are wandering. And so, so the thing is, is that we, we don't have to look to see colors. It doesn't, that's just the mind creating another, an illusion. And we're going, oh, if I'm seeing colors and that means I'm getting closer, this must be there. Now here comes the self. You don't even see the self coming up that's saying, look, keep looking and look, it's like a kaleidoscope. And all of a sudden you're dazzled at the sensory gates. Don't do that. That's a very, very common thing that happens. So you just stay with your method. You realize it's either the wall or the back of your eyelids. There are no colors that you're going to see. Although the, there's some from Therabod and they, they say, oh, as you go further, you'll start seeing these colors and stuff. Pay no attention to all of that, okay? That's Therabod and stuff. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that it's not some place you want to stay at. You just pass right through that. And you see things for as they are. And so you see nothing. All you're practicing is, is this awareness. And you go, well, but that's not very exciting. No, I'd rather see the colors. No, you have to go back to the 60s and take like LSD or something, you'll see enough colors. Other than that, uh, there's not that many like hippies that took LSD that have become enlightened. So I don't think that's the way. Okay. A, a few maybe. But in any case, the idea is, is that we, are aware of what's there. When they say to shut off the sensory gates, it doesn't mean to disengage them, okay, like unplug them. What it means is stop receiving the data from the sensory gates that are, that are there, including the consciousness and memory. So the memory can do things or it can look at the floor and go, wow, you know, that looks like a tree, that pattern right there. Yeah, that looks like, it must be like a cypress tree. And all of a sudden you're looking at stuff or the, the it begins to get wiggly on you or get dark and light and dark and light or reverse image and you're going, wow, this is cool. No, your mind's just doing all these things and it's because you've been staring there for such a long time. It, it's gonna have these, these sensations, but leave it alone. Leave all of that alone. Uh, and you just simply, you staying with the method. 
and you're, you're holding to awareness, you're, you're investing in awareness, not thought, not what we call cogitation, a sequence of connected thoughts. You're not doing that. You're not at the fair, you're not at work, you're not at home, you're not at the mall, you're here. And you start with this understanding of the awareness of where you're at. You are here. You are on that cushion. There's an awareness there. You don't have to look at your body and say, I am here in this body. You just have to be um, uh, oriented to time and space. And it's a very interesting thing because I talk about that because when uh, a lot of times if I'm doing trust and the people um, are very elderly, that's what I put down when I check on them to see if they know where they're at. Do you know where you're at? Do you know who I am? Yeah, you're, you know, Mr. Gutierrez, you're the attorney. Okay, you know, um, do you know what day it is? Oh, yes, you know, today is Friday or whatever the day is. And, and so then I put well-oriented as to time and space, meaning that they're not cuckoo or they haven't lost it. But when you sit to meditate, right away you become disoriented as to time and space. You're somewhere else. You're at the beach, you're at work, you're somewhere else. You're not oriented, your, your mind's not working right. Why the heck did you want to go to work? So you just come back here and you become oriented as to where you're at. When you're oriented as to time and space, and time is this moment, and you're in this moment, which is a constantly moving bubble. And it's an interesting thing in terms of how we see things and how we see that, that time is only something that's there in relationship to other things. So if we stay in the present moment, it's timeless and we're here clearly aware why does that benefit us it benefits us because when we get up off the cushion we are aware of where we're at in any given moment we're aware of what's happening we're aware of of what's happening and the people around you as i'm sitting here and i'm talking i'm seeing you shifting moving moving your towels doing the different things that you're doing i am aware of that of all of you when the air conditioner goes on, when it doesn't go on, if a car goes by, all of those things the mind is aware of. Yet, here I am talking to you. How can that be? And I say to you, how can you not see it? How can you not be aware when, when you see people? And when you're aware like this, it enables you to see the potentiality of things that are going to happen, the potentiality of what people are thinking. And even simultaneously talking to people and talking directly to them and putting some thought in their mind or seeing what they're thinking about. How can you do that? It's so simple. You just don't think. And that information comes in. It is just in this way. It's very, very amazing. But we lose that ability. We have that ability. Each one of us has that ability. But we, we don't do it because we're not using awareness. We're using consciousness. And in consciousness, we're constantly grasping, like um, like a chimpanzee grasping from one vine to the next vine to the next vine, and we.
create this idea of movement. But when the mind is still, it's still in the present moment, but something very interesting to it. It's very dynamic. It's very dynamic. It, it, it's a moment where you're really, really clear. Earlier today, we were talking about surfing. And when you surf, you become very aware when you're in the water. You're looking at the, the swells that are coming up from a great distance. And you can see them. You can say, oh, these are going to be small waves, or these waves are going to come here. And you, you move towards the waves where they're going to, to be, and you try to, to match yourself with that. But you're aware that you're aware of the people around you, aware of, of everything in that moment. And it's the same thing in our life. We're aware of it, and we know when, if there's a problem, stay away from the problem or diffuse the problem, know how to, to talk to people, know how to do these things. And what happens is that it changes the reality. You change the reality. And you, you change it in the way that you want it to be. You don't believe that? Look at your house. Your house reflects your reality. The furniture you have, the the way your your bed is neatly made up. I'm sure your bed's neatly made up. Um, and whether there's any, it, the socks are in the sock drawer or you have an array of socks from the week that are next to the bed. It all reflects the reality of, of your life. And you see things in, in different places, how the people practice, how they are all of that and you become aware of this reality and you become aware that you can modify that reality if it wasn't that way I wouldn't come here because if I if I didn't believe that I could change something somewhere then why would I do this why would I do it but when I come here I'm not just touching you I'm touching all the people that you touch all the people that you affect and so in doing this and giving you hope for your practice and understanding we have hope for our, our community, our environment, because we can change it little by little using awareness. So there is a great nobility in our practice, a great responsibility in our practice. I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to the people that you're going to talk to. And so when we do that, we're aware of that. And, and it's a wonderful thing because it's very positive how we can change the things. So you can either become a very noble person or you can just sleep on your cushion and, and engage in your, your illusions. And if you do that, your practice will reflect that and your daily life will reflect that. But when you practice well, it will reflect well in all the things that you do around you. That's what you're doing when you're sitting on the cushion, is you're, you're in a controlled environment getting a handle on awareness. So we're gonna really hit hard today on this idea of awareness, because that's, that's very, very important. And so as we, we hit hard on that, you have to be aware in, in this moment and in the next moment. So. When we practice this way, what I want you to do is, right now, just close your eyes.
be aware of this moment. Don't use your method right now. This is your method's going to just be awareness. Even if your eyes are closed, using your memory, can you be aware of the room? What's in front of you? What's behind you? So first get a spatial awareness. How far away you're from the doors. How tall the ceiling is. Where the walls are at. What color the walls. What you're seated on. How many people are in front of you? How many people are behind you? And get a sound awareness. Any thought impressions, thought sensations that arise that weren't there a moment ago, don't look at them, just be aware. Including your own mental impressions. Do not engage in, just be aware. Anything that arises in mind, in this moment, you're aware in this moment.
stay with the method, be aware. Put all of that together spatially, sensations, mental impressions. Be aware, moment to moment, the finest slice of a moment. Make it sharper and sharper. Get used to pure awareness. It does not belong to the sensations. Sensations appear within it. But it does not belong to time or thought. But is aware of time and thought.
hold to the awareness. Don't think. Stay with awareness. You see how quiet it gets. Very, very quiet. Incredible. The mind's not rushing, not being filled with images that don't belong. This is your original nature. Your original nature of each of you is not different. But through causes and conditions, we fill that original nature with consciousness that's different in accordance with habit energy. And it creates a discord and a disharmony uh, because our original nature seek other things. We don't seek the common ground. It seeks to self-love, self-conceit. But this awareness is, we share. It's very amazing. And in this awareness, we can touch everyone in this room. It's very, very quiet. Remember this sensation. I shouldn't even call it sensation, just a state of mind of being very, very quiet. This state of mind is a mind that you have and you can take it with you wherever you go. And you measure your state of mind against when it becomes cluttered with thought, cluttered with problems or excitement, desires or vexations. And you bring it back, keep returning it to this awareness, keep returning it there. And so that, because if you do that, causing conditions will never fail you have this awareness, this great serenity in your, in your mind. Very, very great serenity. A sublimeness that's there. It's a natural sublimeness that's there. And all you did was just tune back to it. And you can feel that. Did, did anybody have any difficulty with this, this method? Raise your hand. Do you all feel a little more quieter than when you started? Yeah. yeah. This is the way you should feel every time you meditate. Every time. Every time it should be this way. If you don't feel that way when you meditate, then you're doing your meditation wrong. That's why I'm here. So, because people practice consciousness, not awareness. When they practice awareness, it changes the whole playing field. Do you have any questions about this? No questions? Okay.
Any comments about what you're feeling? No? You're too much. Yes, go ahead. Um, so our method is the best way to break bad habits, like of, that we might have on a cushion, is it, or it's our anger. So the, where does the method, our normal methods that we have been using? When you use your method, essentially what you're doing is using poison to fight poison. The method itself is a thought, but it's a, a continuous loop thought so that it, it becomes meaningless. And so what happens is that you begin to bring yourself back to the state of awareness. So you're just aware. What are you aware of? I am aware of my method. Uh, I'm aware of the thoughts coming into my mind, but I'm not attaching to them. I'm just simply aware of them. So there's not really even I am aware. Uh, um, we say that for, for the sake of communicating when we say I. Even the Buddha used to say I, but it's not really an I like an I in being, but just for, for purposes of being able to communicate. When you're sitting in your meditation and you're following your method, you're aware of the method. And because it's a continuous loop, it becomes meaningless. Um, Master Shen Yang equated it to a bullfrog in a pond that he's already eaten. He has no interest just sitting on this one lily pad. And the lily pad is the method. But because he's such a big bullfrog, he covers the whole lily pad. But there's all these other lily pads in, in the lake that are open. But he has no reason to jump from this one to the other one. He's just aware of all the other lily pads in there. And the other lily pads are thoughts that are rising. And they're arrayed in the lake. But he doesn't have to think about them. He doesn't have to do anything. He just is aware that they're there. Now, for some reason, some... Um, Let's say a crocodile would come by, he'd know where to jump. He'd know precisely where to jump because he knows he's aware of all of these things, but there's no need to jump at that moment. He's just simply aware. And this is the way you are, and you use your method in this way. You don't have to try to strip the mind from your vexations. It's the worst way to do it. Master Shen Yang talked about that as a person that had leeches on their body. And when they had leeches, you all know what leeches are, right? No? They're the little animals that suck your blood. They're in the swamp. No, they're like, like kind of like a snail without a shell that suck your blood. So I don't know. But in any case, if you try to pull the leech off, the head will stay on there. And so when you try to strip your your mind of vexations, that's what you're doing. You, you, you mess the whole thing up. But what he said was that the practice of Chan is like pouring salt all over your body. What it does is it creates an unfavorable environment for these leeches to stay on you. And they all will naturally fall off on their own. You don't have to pull them off. They will fall off.
And so when we practice, that's the way it is, is, is that we practice, we don't have to strip that. We just have to be aware that those things have arisen in the mind. But we be, what we're doing is we're practicing awareness. So when a thought arises in the mind, it's neither sacred nor profane. That's why they say if when you're meditating, the Buddha comes before you, push him out, kick him out. If a vexation comes before you, then you don't pay attention to it. The same thing with the Buddha. Essentially, you don't you don't have any attention to to those things, whether they're good or they're bad. You just simply stay. All you're practicing is maintaining awareness, and that awareness is is the goal. That's what we talked about yesterday. The difference between phenomena and noumenon. The noumenon is the mind ground, and all you're doing is you're sitting in the mind ground. You're resting there in the mind ground, resting in, in a state where we we have this idea of of just being aware in that moment. And that awareness will naturally cut off the vexations because it will see through them. The vexations only work as a vexation if self is present. When self is not present, whatever thoughts that come up that used to give you vexations, they will be neutralized. They, they will have not no thinking to them at all, no, nothing to give them a favorable environment to to grow in in the mind so they die off on their own everything that we do is in this way we want to create a favorable environment for positive thinking and positive thought so do you know what the four mindfulness are anybody touch you guys last time not even for a quarter you guys won't <laughs> we won't remember at least one none aye, aye, aye. okay here you go pay attention this time put this in your memory banks very very easy once you get the first one you go oh I remember them now first one is to maintain wholesome thoughts in the mind number one number two to bring forth wholesome thoughts to your mind Number three, to eliminate unwholesome thoughts from your mind. And number four is don't give rise to unwholesome thoughts. So those are the four stages or, or four mindfulness. It's very, very simple, right? Very simple. Just, it all has to do with wholesome and unwholesome. Now wholesome and unwholesome is a very interesting thing because it's a kusala and kusala. And when we have akusala thoughts, those are attaching thoughts. So they they attach to whatever comes up. So if the um, the the jelly donut is going to arise in the mind, right away it wants to grab it. Mine. I like this. So it's attaching to it. And so if it attach, attaches to it, what will happen next? in the mind. It will start thinking about it and saying, hmm, wonder if it's a raspberry or a lemon. 
and they'll say it's a lemon and it starts attaching more and it's and it gives it mind energy so you're now creating into the future the idea that 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 thought of the jelly donut or the lemon filled donut will arise in the mind in the future because you're putting that into your memory banks and you're putting it in the, this action we could say memory banks there's more fancy words for it into the alive vision on a consciousness if you will and when somebody says something about it and then you because you've already remembered you know about mm, jelly donut that sounds good then it brings forth all sorts of things you can even make your mouth water so not <coughs> me saying about a jelly donut did anybody like create a craving for a jelly donut yeah all right, I have to switch over to the hot dog then. <laughs> so, so anyway, but that's the thing. That's naturally arising because previously you had that. So these things rain down upon the seventh consciousness where we're formulating all this and it's called a bija, B-I-J-A, a seed from, from the alive Vishnana consciousness, which is the mind ground itself. And and it says, ah, this has come up before, and when this comes up, boom, all of a sudden you develop a craving. I like. Other people go, well, you know, I'm on a diet, so I don't want to think about a jelly donut. You know, that's bad stuff. And others may have gotten sick because they ate too many of them. And so they, they don't have that thought, so there's other thoughts. All of those are akusa, they're attaching thoughts to the simple thought that came up. So the idea of wholesome thought and unwholesome thought doesn't have to do with whether or not the jelly donut is good or bad. It has to do with whether we attach something to it. So if we attach something to it and say, oh, this is a good donut, or oh, this is a bad donut, bad, bad donut, you, you make me fat. Um, then that too is, a, is an acoustic thought, an attaching thought. Because when you go around and you see people, you'll go, you know, you may say, good person, bad person, good person, bad person. And it doesn't matter. So whether it's good or bad it has nothing to do with it, whether it's wholesome. Do, do you see? It has to do with whether we stick to it. So a sticky thought is an acoustic thought. So what we have to do is we have to just let the thoughts come and go, come and go in their own accord. And we use them in their own accord. So the thoughts arise and we use them. And we can still be in a state of no thought by doing that. Just simply using the thought as it's necessary and letting it go. Using it, letting it go. That's a wholesome thought. That's a kusala thought. So we can do things. But if we are attaching to the things that are that are arising, then it creates a sequence of thought and the illusion that there is somebody who is producing this stream of consciousness. But when we let go of, of that idea of the stream of consciousness, we see things just as they are. So we don't have to worry about putting things uh, or taking things out or putting things into the mind. We're, we're just aware of how mind works whether our mind is very sticky or not. 
And so it, it all depends on, on the situation. Because that sticking to the thought is what creates the cravings, the vexations, the choices. This is good, this is bad. And then that creates an unhappiness and a lack of stability in the mind. Even though we think that, that, that we need that, actually we, our mind is now sticking as it goes along instead of like running through um, let's say if you were playing a, a DVD movie and you're running through and it's and it's and as the DVD movie is playing if your mind is very very aware it's actually seeing the potentiality of what's going to happen next so you go oh, I know what's going to happen that guy's really the secret agent or whatever you already know ahead of time some of the things that are going to happen but when, when you're going through the movie and you have a sticky mind, it keeps stopping. It stops at that moment and you're, because you have to process all this other stuff that's going on. And you're going like, hello, are you there? Hello, you know, and, and the person goes, oh, I'm sorry. You know, where were you, you know? And they could have been on the beach at Waikiki. You know, you never know because they're not in, in the present moment. Being in the present moment is being running right into reality, not in not into the fantasy or what we want to do or whether we want to touch this person or hit this person or whatever it is. We're seeing the reality as it really, really is. And that reality kind of bends the concept of time in terms of the concept of, of the past and the future. All of that is all seen perfectly so that we we can make the future a perfect a better past as we're going through it. Did I lose you guys? <laughs> but anyway, that's how the mind works. It's very wonderful. It's very wonderful because you just see that okay, okay, this is the future, but the future could be past as as we pass it, you're molding it. And now the the past is here. I remember talking to somebody that I cared about a lot, and when I called them up, I said, I'm not talking to you right now, I'm talking to the person that, that's going to be in the future. She said, what are you talking about? I said, you'll find out when it's the past. And then when it was the past, I said, see, that was the person that I was talking to. It's just that way. So, you more, oriented as to the things that are happening around you. And this idea, even the concept of the present moment, is, is really an illusion itself. So all we're doing is we're just kind of floating around in this reality, of this apparent reality, but we understand that we have a responsibility, but also an ability to mold the future, mold the future environment which ultimately passes us by and becomes past, but it's molded in the images that we we set forth in the present moment. Anybody, did I lose any of you? Really? You hanging in there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah? Well, you guys took more drugs than I thought you did. <laughs> One day this is going to be much more clear to you like to the person I was talking to, then that person understood that.
and 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 it's just the idea of of these types of things but when you do that you have a responsibility not to manipulate the future for the self before i used to practice a, a lot of qigong you're very serious qigong i still do but but it's um uh governed by by my my buddhist practices and and the idea is that you understand that you can mold the world, you can mold the reality, but the difference is is, is that with with the practice of chan and, and and wisdom, you understand you have a responsibility to do that with wisdom. That whatever you do, you do it with wisdom and not for self gain or to harm somebody. Um, so as you do it, it, it's a wonderful thing. That's why Master Shen Yang talks about creating a pure land here and to uplift humanity. It begins here in this room, in this moment that you want to uplift. And if you want to uplift humanity, then you have to uplift humanity with the idea that you are, um, are responsible for your environment. This is one environment here. When you go home, it's another environment. So how is that environment there? Are you uplifting humanity? Or are you causing discord there? Are you understanding? Are you patient? All these different things come in. And so all of this works in this way that we understand the reason why we can do that is very, very simple. From the very first time I went to a retreat, I saw it clearly and it was to know all the Buddhas of the past, present, and future, perceive that all Dharma Dadu nature. So perceive means be aware of all Dharma Dadu nature. It means all phenomena, all phenomena is created by the mind. Last night we talked about this and we said that where one master was talking about vexations being part of the self nature of mind. And they are, because there's nothing outside of the self-nature of mind. That which you're using for this awareness when you were practicing is the self-nature of mind. The only thing you have to do is just make it last longer. If you make it last longer, it works very well. Now, just we'll take a break in a moment, but you had some questions I wanted to answer for your questions kind of keep it a little bit shorter, but, but you have to speak louder so they can hear you. I have a lot of problem or doubt about um, um, some of the Buddhism stories. Um, uh, for example, how the Buddha was born. He was born under the left arm of his mother. Well, that just can't be. A woman can survive such trauma and not die. Uh, when that happened, and, and I just don't understand why. I, so I assume that somebody made up the story for whatever reason. And um, what's the reason that Buddha had to born that way, and instead of the normal way? The only thing I can explain to myself is maybe maybe um, people at that time thought uh, being born from the, the normal way. 
is not good because uh, the women's body is dirty or something like so they might have a story like that. And um, the notion of um, the story about uh, his father uh, liking so much that uh, doesn't want him to see anything suffering, so he or he he grew up never seeing a person sick or die or anything any sort of suffering until he saw and got married and and so forth and being an intelligent baby since he already can talk the first day he just was just born then and how can he never even want to like go out to a village or he never wonder. Because it can be that uh, nobody got sick around him, uh, in, in, and he never wonder if his servant didn't show up for work because of sickness, and he didn't uh, even ask why. And well, it, I mean, this I so I, I I had to assume this this is also just a story for somebody tell it to either is some sort of porn or something, it just because it just can't happen this way. And there are other stories like, for example, the notion of uh, a, a woman cannot become a Buddha unless uh, he suddenly turns into a man and then he, he, she becomes a Buddha or that sort of thing. So if all beings are equal, so why men are women not, not equal? And the, just the notion of women cannot become Buddha just doesn't make sense to me. And, uh, it's okay. Let, let me answer your question. Cause I know you have a zillion of them. It's it's a good thing you're not Christian, because you would have sunk Noah's Ark, and and you would have divorced uh, God. But um, no, I understand what you're saying, and those things um, are are something that you you should think in this way. Okay. You don't think about them in a way in which it's negative, but you you practice with your eyes open. You have to practice with your eyes open, and that's good for you to do that when you look at that. One thing I can tell you is if you practice, when when we're doing the meditation right now, did you, and you practice the awareness, right? How did you feel? Quiet. Quiet. There's something there. There's something there, okay? So what we do, and I'm speaking in general terms right now. You don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because you say these stories, they might have been puffed up like what the Chinese or Taiwanese say, they, you're blowing the cow, making something so big that it's impossible. I cannot say yes or no to any of those stories, and, but yet I still take them, let's say with a grain of salt, and I know some stories are there for for purposes of understanding. For instance, the story of Shakyamuni Buddha is like us, that we go through for so long and we're unaware of old age, sickness, and death. Even though we see it every day, we're blind to it. Until we, we, we get close to it ourselves, and then all of a sudden our eyes open up. So the stories have a meaning to them, a purpose. And when we, when we look at it in this way, that should not affect our faith. The faith that I have in this practice, and I studied with many different people, many different types of disciplines, and I, only time I had faith is after listening to Master Shen Yang talk, because what I had faith in was the wisdom. Um, 
in the Christian doctrine, when I looked at it, I saw that there was this idea of the supreme being, which I had a very difficult time since I was a little young child, and how the supreme being could create people and cause them to go into everlasting hell. And some Christians believe if you never accepted Jesus in your heart, you go to everlasting hell. And I was a little kid going, what about the kids in Africa? People in Africa, they never heard Jesus of Jesus and they're going to all die because they never accepted him in his heart. That doesn't even make any sense. So that's what caused me to continue to look, to try to find something. When I looked at the Buddhism, the thing that, that really attracted me to Buddhism was causes and conditions. That it made sense. It fit in the construct of everything that I'd learned to that point was the idea of cause and conditions. It did not affect me. I mean, there's things that I could tell you about Buddhism that you would flip your wig if you're, if you're looking at that part. I mean, literally, you'd go, that's in the sutras? Oh, yeah, it's in the sutras. You know, and, but the thing is, is that what I can tell you is this. There's the exoteric practice and the esoteric practice. There are things in the, in the esoteric practice that I myself have, have encountered that are beyond belief. But yet they, I've encountered them and, and I've experienced them. And, and so I cannot say, you know, if I tell people things, they go, oh, that, that's cuckoo. But the things happen. And, and so those are just things sometimes that they're that way. Now, historically, if you look at it and say, do you really believe that Buddha is sitting on a throne, gold throne, you know, and he's dressed like some guy from 2,500 years ago? No. You'd think that he'd have a better tailor by now, right? And he'd be dressed, you know, in, in some way. But the one wonderful movie that I saw of God was the one with uh, George Burns where he's just dressed up like a like an old man you know and and that was cool because all of a sudden you don't think about God in this robe you know from from back 2,000 years ago and and the idea is this is that these things you you see them there but if if the practice works for you if if you if you see that it's not bad, you know, um, but um, no, if I'm wrong, let's say if I was wrong and, and God was there and now I'm in front of Jesus, I'm like, Jesus, sorry, sorry, and, and, and I was wrong, I don't think he would castigate me too much for preaching about talking about uh, uplifting the environment. So it's not a bad thing, even if you were wrong, it's not a bad practice. And you're not killing people in the name of Buddha. You're you're trying to spread tranquility and harmony. Not bad. Not bad. So even if you're wrong, it's not that bad. I look at Buddhism in this way as something very, very beneficial to society. I see those things that you talk about, and that's what drove me to study more and more about it. I want to know where Buddhism came from. So I studied for many years to find out the roots of Buddhism. I wanted to know where it came, what happened, how did Chan come about out of Buddhism and how it differs from Theravadan. So I looked at all these things and you look at this and you see all these stories. And the stories sometimes are very incredible.
but there's things that happen in Buddhism that can't be explained. I, I, I'm going to give you one, and this is a very small, small story. Um, very insignificant. It's not going to go into any footnote, not even on any, any, anything. But once I was with with Shifu in in a retreat, and he asked me to sit in on the um, interviews with the people. So on one side was Guyen Fashia, the the abbot of the retreat center at the time, Master Shen Ying, and I was sitting in the other seat. So I'm there going, you know, wow, you know, at the big boy table now. And and they uh, before they call people in, there was this this um, bug that was flying around the room, very very fast, like zzz, 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 zzz. you 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 couldn't even see what it was. All you could see is just a blur going by the room. <coughs> and so Master Shen Yang says, Gilbert, take the bug outside. And I'm going, yeah, right. <laughs> so here I'm in, in the room. Zzz, zzz, zzz. I can't hit it, right? I'm going, I got him. I don't think Master Shenyang would have been very happy. So I'm there and I'm looking at this thing and, and it's flying so fast and there's no way I could even get close to it. Once I got a foot away from it, it would take off. <sighs> and and so I I sat back down again assured that Master Shen Yang saw that I gave a good faith effort to try to capture this bug. And he's looking forward like this, you know, and I'm going to be here. And he said, Kilbert, if you do not take the bug out, it will die in here. And I'm going, well now, you know, like he's really making me feel guilty, but what can I do? He just saw me chasing this bug all over the all over the place. Now, what am I going to do? How can I do it? I mean, you know, not only that, it's not just capturing the bug, but making sure that you didn't kill it in the process. So then I go again, and then the then the bug lands on Shifu's chair. And I put my hands out like this, and I went, please, please, and I want to help you, please. And the bug flew and landed in, my, in the palm of my hands, and it was this most beautiful, incredible dragonfly, an incredible, incredible one, with these little tufts looked like little cotton balls on its wings. I, I've never seen anything like it. It's just absolutely beautiful, this little green body. And I'm just looking at this beautiful, beautiful creature that's there. And I take it outside. And, and just, they open up the door, and boom, it flies off. Nobody said a word about that but that's charm it's very incredible it's a very small story a very very small story but it's the most amazing story you know in that regard because when that happened it was how how would that happen how would that happen 
I'm gonna tell you one more story. I have, by the way, I have many bug stories. I'm like the, what was the guy, the the Milan guy, the the dog whisperer. Is that what they call? I'm like the, yeah, I'm like the bug whisperer. So, I was in Ohio, and I was talked out telling people about direct contemplation, and so I was saying, when we go outside, you know, you direct do direct contemplation, but don't pick on something that's going to fly away. Like if you had a bumblebee or something, don't look at it because you're going to be flying all over the place like that. You have to just look at things and just look at that. So don't don't pick that, you know. So I'm out there and and sure enough comes a bumblebee <laughs> buzzing around me. I'm sure you guys, this all happens to you all the time. Buzzes around me and lands on my pants in the back. And it's such a big bug, you can feel the weight of it on my pants. And I'm going like, all right, that's interesting. And I feel it crawling up the back of my leg. And I'm going, this is really, really interesting. And it keeps crawling and crawling and crawling. He crawls all the way up my shoulder, down my arm, to my fingertips. And he's just looking at me. He's going, what were you saying about bumblebees? <laughs> and just stayed there. And just stayed there looking at me. What is the probability that that would happen? Really. This is where faith comes from. This is where faith comes from. I could sit here and tell you a million stories like that. But, but this is... This is how how things are, and and how we communicate. And you go, well, this doesn't even make any sense. But these things happen, and they happen as I'm telling you. I'm not embellishing them at all. And I was once at a retreat, and a bug was coming into the room, and and, um, and this was in in pine bush, and it was before they they renovated it, so it was open so there was also at nighttime a lot of bugs were coming. This one was walking towards me and I'm like this and I went, Hey bug and the bug stopped. And I went, Don't come this way. If you come this way, you see behind me you'll see a lot of dead bugs. They they're dead because they walked into the room. It's better for you to go back out the way you came. So the bug stopped and then turned around and went back out. It is this way that we have a connection with all sentient beings, everybody. And we have this ability to do that. And when we do that and you're in the right company, nobody thinks that that was amazing or anything. We just see that as a representation, mind to mind, of, of how we transmit chant. And it's transmitted mind to mind. That's why my words cannot do it to you. You have to open your heart to see that. So when you see the stories, don't be so concerned about them. Just be concerned about your practice and have faith in your practice that it will work and you'll be very, very surprised with that. So I wanted to give you that because it's very funny because on the esoteric side of, of Chan, it's very amazing. Very, very amazing the things that, that you can do, but it's not why we practice. We practice to uplift humanity, to create a pure land here. But we we see the things and and 
it's it's a real weird world when you start seeing how reality is. Reality isn't fixated like we think it is. It's constantly malleable, changes all the time, and in, in in accordance with what we're thinking and doing and saying, the future is constantly changing. When you see it that way and you understand that, then you have the responsibility, but you also have the ability to change it, which is the most wonderful part. Any questions? Yeah, go ahead. How do one cultivate faith? I understood I have, and I, it's not something that I say, I want to believe, I want to, and it's there. It doesn't happen that way. And I will be lying to myself to say that I do have faith because I know I don't. And I'm, I'm here because I'm just, I, I, I can work under the assumption that which projects I can go, I might get somewhere, but that's just an assumption. Yeah. Have faith in yourself. Have faith in yourself first that this is beneficial to you. If you have faith in yourself, little by little the rest will come. Listen to what the teacher is saying. Is the teacher talking about power or are they talking about something that's beneficial to all people? You know, am, am I offering you something or am I trying to dazzle you at the sensory gates? No. So, so you, you, little by little you do that. The faith comes from, from within. But it's okay, it's okay not to have that faith. One day, one day something will happen to you, you will see it for yourself. You will have some kind of faith in what you do. And, and that's, that's a good thing. When you have that kind of faith like that, it will change everything <coughs> for you. But until that time, you're, you're doing good coming here. You're doing good. Because your, your past cause and conditions, you have some obstructions to to, to opening up to that. But nevertheless, you come because of your past cause and condition, your past karma, you keep coming because of that. You know there's something here, you can't see it. But it's okay, it's all right. You, you can go the way you are. Not everybody comes and not, and I don't think people should have blind faith, but they should, they should look at the things that are there and see, just like we were talking about yesterday, the picture where you can't see, that you just see squiggly lines and then you look into it and the people are saying, if you look long enough, you'll see the picture within the picture. And you have to have faith that if you follow this method, it will happen. And you just do that. And the worst thing will happen is, is that at least you learn how to meditate, calm yourself down and change your environment around you. Not bad. So if, if I'm completely wrong, you still did pretty good. You still did pretty good in your life. Not bad. It's better than just going around going, I hate you, I hate you, I like you, I hate you. I don't like you anymore because you did this to me. You know, instead of doing that, putting all that down. Not bad. Okay. We'll take our break. Oh, did you want to say something? Well, I, I, I just missed how um, the story goes of uh, Buddha's birth. What was the, what was the... The, the, the Buddha was born in a forest and, and the, the story is that a giant, it was a cobra, opened up its, its, its side things like that to shade him. And the, that she had the, 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 the baby in the forest. You know, there's a whole thing, a lot of things about that, you know, details of, of that. And she's concerned saying, well, you know, how, how would that have happened? And I'm looking at it going like, these are things that are there 
can I wasn't there I can't say yeah that didn't happen but on the other hand I can say that things I've seen things that are very would appear miraculous that other people would say I made that up but I've, I've experienced it so so that's what her concern is is saying that well how could these things really happen or how could Chakamuni Buddha be in this temple and never see old people and stuff I've had the same thoughts as you quite clearly you know I, I, and 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 other things in terms of even how in, in Buddhist practice how sentient beings came to the to um, um, to earth and if you look at, at the sutras, anybody know how the sentient beings came to earth? Yeah. From, from uh, heaven and they yeah. came down in the east and they yeah. can't fly anymore. So in one sutra they talk about that the sentient beings came here from from, from another uh, planet and from another place and they kind of fell from grace. You know, well, that sounds like Scientology to me. <laughs> Seriously, seriously, okay. But so I don't know if you knew that one. That one really would have blown your mind. <laughs> but but the thing is, is is that to me that doesn't bother me from in terms of of the practice of Chan, the practice of Chan, and understanding how it works and seeing it then. Had given me the faith in it, in terms of it, and that's that's a, a very very important thing, is that that you have to to see it. If you try to hold up any religion to scrutiny, you know probably Buddhism would have a better chance than most of them um, would. Um, Christianity, the Koran, the things that were happening there, and say, well, let me see now. How many wives did did um, was it Muhammad have, and he had, or not Muhammad, is it Muhammad? Yeah, and, and, and how, you know, and how old were they? Well, isn't that against the law? Because he had wives that were like nine years old. So you start looking at that religion, they go, don't pay attention to that! Only look at this. And, and they move away from that, but you can't justify it, and you go, well, well take a look at that. But, the Quran as an as a instrument of wisdom in the other parts of it is not bad. Just like the Bible, it's not bad. If you if a if a Christian practices according to its tenets, then that's fine. You know, it, it's a good instrument to use for it. Buddhism, on the other hand, if you put all the treasury of all the treatises and everything, if we say that this is the Bible here, the Quran the New and Old Testament, the, the Buddhist teachings could not be, this room could not uh, hold them. There's that money. I mean, it's a vast, vast, vast library. And it's a very in, informational thing. Of course, there's all this hot geography that comes with all the things that, that come. Once I said that when I was reading the Diamond Sutra, that I, I felt, the first time I read it, I felt like I was being lifted in the air. And I had the sensation of, of being lifted and I'd close the book and I'd go, this is strange, and I'd open it up and read again. And I felt like I was being lifted up. I didn't understand it, but I knew there was something inside 
to give me that weird sensation like that. But then later people changed the story and they said, oh, Gilbert was levitating. No, I wasn't levitating. I, I was just trying to explain that I, was, I felt the sensation of lifting up. But then that went around. And that's how things change all of a sudden. Things change in, in a way where, where it distorts what was happening or the embellish it. And that can happen in, in terms of the stories. If you think that the Buddha wrote all the sutras, no, not even close. The Theravadins always go and they say, that's not Buddha Vakana. Buddha Vakana means what the Buddha wrote. And who are they to say what Buddha Vakana is? Their scriptures were not written by the Buddha. They were written many years after the Buddha, and they were, this person told this person, this person told this person, this person told this person, and another one, before they even got to the point of writing it down. So, so the religions are in this way. The thing is, is what you do is you have faith in yourself that this can work for you, this can make a difference, okay? All right, we'll take a break.